0: Be careful. Be careful. I would venture to guess that uh, those two words are probably two of the most commonly used words in the English language. I mean, think about it. How many times have you heard somebody say to you, be careful? Right? I mean, you think back all the way back when you were a little kid. I mean, my my mom and dad, they must have told me, Jason, be careful. They must have said that to me at least 100 times a day. Right? And if you think about all the young young families, young parents in the world today, and how many times they're going to say to their kids this afternoon, hey, Johnny, be careful. Susie, be careful. Right? Be careful. I think these are probably two of the most common words used in the English language and whatever their equivalents are in any other language too, right? Be careful. I remember the first time I heard these two words, at least as, as far as I can recall. It was when I was about five or six years old and uh, I had just gotten, my dad and I had gone down to Toys R Us in Burnsville and, and uh, I had just gotten a brand new bike. My first two-wheel bike. It was beautiful. It was a Space Invaders bike. And uh, the old Atari video game, Space Invaders, it had the Space Invaders graphic, you know, on the on the hubs and the rims and on the chain guard. And I and, uh, had a banana seat. You know, I mean, this bike was just cool. I mean, I was like, I was a cool dude in my neighborhood when I got this bike. And uh, and I remember my dad, you know, he went out there on the street with me and we spent, uh, spent probably an hour or so teaching me to balance, teaching me how to ride. And, and finally he let me go. and and I got my balance, and I started riding that bike up and down the neighborhood, and and you know what? It didn't take long before I was like Mr. Hot Dog on this bike, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm riding my bike back and forth in front of our our driveway, and my mom, she's yelling, Jason, be careful! And I'd be, you know, I'm good, Mom. I've been riding this thing for five minutes. I know what I'm doing. And and, uh, I'd keep going back and forth, you know, and my mom, she was like, Jason, be careful. And I'm like, sure, Mom. You know, I'm waving. Well, Pretty soon, I start hot-dogging it, you know, thinking I'm really cool, you know, I'm doing the thing, taking my hands off the handlebars, and watch, Mom, no eyes, you know, and I'm closing my eyes and I'm showing off, and, and uh, all of a sudden, I go riding by my my driveway, and this time, as I ride by my driveway, my mom, she yells out, Jason, be careful! Well, this time, it sounded a little more urgent, right? And so, all of a sudden, I, I went from waving, looking at my mom, to turning my head, And lo and behold, about two inches in front of me was a parked car on the side of the road. And I went slamming into the back of that car full speed on my brand new bike. Now, friends, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but but when a five-year-old on a little space invader's bike runs into a parked car, The car's going to win every time. You know what I'm saying? And I hit the back of that car, and I went flying over the trunk of this car, smashed up my brand new bike. I mean, I was just, it was heartbreaking. My bike's all smashed up. I'm battered and bruised. I had a bloody nose. I got, you know, a black eye. I mean, I was a mess, all because I wasn't being careful. You know, friends, this admonition to be careful is so important. And I share this story with us this morning because... The passage that we're going to come to in the book of Ephesians today actually starts out with Paul giving us this very warning. Paul starts out our passage today telling us that we need to be very careful. Be very careful. Why do we need to be careful? Well, we're going to see this morning that, you know, the book of Ephesians has really been talking about what it is to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's really the, the, the theme of the whole book. Paul starts out in chapters 1 through 3 talking about all the blessings and privileges that are ours in Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, that we've been looking at re- more recently, he talks about what it means to live out those blessings and privileges, how we walk out our faith daily, and how it makes a difference in our lives, and how, how it distinguishes us and sets us apart from the world around us. But today, Paul tells us that we need to be careful. And here's why we need to be careful. It's because this path that we're on, this journey of faith that we're on, Jesus in John 10.10 says that this journey of faith, Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. So we're walking this path that Jesus promised us leads to life and life to the full. But here's the thing, friends, this path to life, it's not without its dangers. It's not without its obstacles. It's not without its pitfalls. And so Paul warns us that as we walk this path that leads to life and life to the full, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful. Let me read our passage for us this morning, and I want to come back and make some commentary uh, about this passage and uh, look at some practical ways that we can apply this to our lives today. But uh, take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul here says, Be very careful, then, how you live. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. That word live there is important, okay? If you remember back when we were starting chapter 4, we talked about this word live. Paul uses this word about four or five times through the book of Ephesians. The Greek word for live is peripateo. And that word can be translated either live or walk, okay? So you live your life or you walk your life. And I, and I like the term walk. If you remember, we preached about this back in January. I like the term walk because Christianity is an act of faith. It's a doing faith. It's a moving forward kind of a faith, right? We don't become Christians and then just sit on our, our back ends, you know, and say, oh, Lord, you know, isn't this great, all the blessings you... No, God calls us to an active, moving faith, right? So I like the word walk. So we're going to use walk, all right? it's the same word in Greek, parapateo, it means to live or to walk. So be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this is the journey of faith that Paul reminds us we're on today. We're on this journey that leads to life and life to the full, as he's been explaining throughout the book of Ephesians. But here in chapter 5, he begins his message to us in this section of the letter by warning us. He starts out with a warning. He says that as we walk this path that leads to life and life to the full, we must be very careful. We can't take our journey for granted. Because this journey that we're on in this present fallen world, as we walk as children of light in the midst of the darkness of this world, this journey is not without its dangers. And what are some of the dangers we face? Well, Paul tells us here in verse 16. In verse 16 says, be very careful. Why? Because Paul says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Well, what did Paul have in mind when he said the days are evil I think he probably had a number of things in mind. I think first, I think of Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, where Paul tells the church in Corinth that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, why are the days evil? Friends, we live in a world filled with people people who do not know the Lord. They don't know the Lord, and as a result of not knowing the Lord, they don't have the Spirit in their life, and as a result of not having the Spirit in their life, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. They cannot see the truth. They're living in darkness. They don't have God's wisdom and His Spirit guiding them. And so, friends, given this reality that we're living in this world surrounded by people who are blinded to the truth, we need to expect that we're going to face opposition in this world as we walk this path that leads to life as Christians. It's just inevitable. We're going to face opposition because the majority of the people around us, their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. They do not see the truth. And so they're not living in the truth. And so we should expect, friends, to face opposition. We should expect to face temptation. We should af- expect to face trials and sometimes even ridicule, sometimes even overt persecution as we try to live out our faith faithfully in this present age because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Paul also tells us in Ephesians 6, 11, that we have an enemy who's seeking to destroy us. In Ephesians six 11, we're gonna get there in a couple of weeks, but Paul talks about how Satan is scheming against us. He's actively plotting or scheming against us, trying to destroy us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter echoes these same warnings. Peter tells the believers in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded and alert, because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour that's who our enemy is. He prowls around looking for someone to devour, and so we need to be careful. Jesus himself in John ten ten, before Jesus promised that he offers the path that leads to life and life to the full, Jesus warned us that there is a thief, Satan, who comes to steal and kill and destroy, and that's his whole agenda for your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy, He wants to steal your joy, the joy that's found, walking faithfully with the Lord, walking in the fullness of life, following the will of Christ. Jesus says, this is the way that leads to life and life to the full. But Satan, he says, no, no, did you really? Did he say that? No, 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 no. And he holds out this forbidden fruit. And he says, no, 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 this is what leads to life. Taste and eat, you'll see how good it is. And for us, that forbidden fruit it can be a variety of things. It can be different things for all of us. It can be different things at different points in our lives. But Satan, every single day, is seeking to lead us astray, to steal our joy. God says joy is found here. Satan says, no, 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 try this. Here's where joy is found. And after he steals our joy by getting us to buy the lie that there's something more fulfilling in a relationship with God and following his will, after he steals our joy by getting us to buy that lie, then he kills our hope. He steals, kills, and destroys. He kills our hope. How does he kill our hope? He kills our hope by reminding us what a loser we are and how stupid you are and how screwed up you are and messed up you are. Oh, man, you betrayed God. You exchanged that for this? Oh, my goodness. what, What a loser. That was, I can't believe you'd make such a foolish decision. He was the one who got us to make that decision. But then he reminds us of how we screwed up and then he gets us to believe the lie that we could never be forgiven oh you screwed up so bad you you traded god's will for this and now look where you are look at the consequences and one of the consequences is you would never be forgiven God would never want you back in a relationship with him. And what he does is he gets us to believe this evil lie and he begins to kill our hope, our hope that we could ever be forgiven, that we could ever be reconciled and restored into a right relationship with God. And after he's got us to steal our joy and kill our hope, then he begins to destroy our lives. He destroys our lives by Getting us to believe the lie oh you're screwed up so bad there's no going back so why not just dive headfirst into your sin and he gets us to believe this lie that this is the only path now and so many people unfortunately continue to pursue their sinful ways and it leads to the destruction of their lives and sometimes lives of people around them and not just your life physically but for some people it will destroy your very soul if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's what the enemy's all about. He schemes, he's a roaring lion looking to devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Friends, you wonder why Paul says we need to be careful as we walk this path of life, as we walk as children of light in this present darkness. We need to be careful because we have this enemy who every single day is trying to get us off track to steal, to kill, and destroy So given the dangers that we face in this world, how can we follow Paul's admonition here to be careful? How can we walk carefully as children of light in this present age of darkness? Well, here's the good news. In our passage today, Paul not only warns us, but he gives us three essential practices. He highlights for us here three essential practices that we need to incorporate into our lives so that we can safely walk the path that leads to life and experience the fullness of life that god intends for us i want to take a look at these three essential practices that paul encourages us to put into place in our lives this morning these are three essentials for carefully walking the way that leads to life number one paul says in verse 15 through 16 you need to walk in wisdom if you're going to carefully walk the path that leads to life you need to first walk in wisdom walk in wisdom now be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul sets up a number of contrasts in our passage today. This is the first contrast not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, when you think about the word wisdom, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Friends, wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. The ability to discern or judge what is true, right, and lasting. Now, wisdom, this is different from just knowledge, okay? Knowledge is just knowing a bunch of stuff, right? Okay? And, and, and anybody can know a bunch of stuff. You can be a non-Christian and know a bunch of stuff, but you're not wise. Wisdom is the ability to discern what is true, what is right? what is lasting of eternal value. And so how do you get this kind of wisdom? Where do we get this wisdom? Well, friends, if wisdom is the ability to judge or discern what is true, right, or lasting, you get wisdom from the source of what is true, right, and lasting. And that's God. It's our Creator God. The only place to find true wisdom is from our Creator God. How are we to walk in wisdom? Well, the Bible gives us guidance on this. I think one of the most practical passages is Proverbs 9.10. In Proverbs 9.10, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom, friends? It starts by fearing the Lord. Now, this is an interesting term, the fear of the Lord. You know, a lot of people wonder, well, what does that mean? You know, am I supposed to be afraid of God? Or what does this mean to fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord is an interesting term because... In the Bible, the way it was translated, there's no comparable English word for the fear of the Lord uh, in the original languages. There's no comparable word, so they just translate it the fear of the Lord, but that term entails a whole bunch of things. It entails standing in awe of God and all of his majesty and his holiness, of his awesomeness. It's recognizing that he is God and I am not. And, and because of that, I need to just bow my knee in his presence in, in, in awe of who he is. But the fear of the Lord, it's not just the standing in awe and reverence of God, but it's also A recognition that God, while He is awesome and and reverent and holy and majestic, at the very same time, it means He is also our Abba, our Father, our Daddy. That's what this means to fear the Lord. It's about knowing God and having a relationship with Him as this awesome, majestic, holy, worthy, incredibly other type of a being, but at the same time, this being who says, I want a relationship with you. I want you to know that I'm your daddy. And you have permission to come to me as my child because I'm your papa, I'm your abba, your daddy. Friends, isn't that incredible? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is found in a relationship with the Lord. You can't have it without a relationship with the Lord. This is why Paul prays back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul prays for us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Paul says, so that we may know him better. Paul prays that we might have a spirit of wisdom for the purpose of knowing God better because when we know God better, relationally, as our Father God, that is where true wisdom is going to be found. The ability to judge and discern what is true, right, or lasting. Wisdom is based in a relationship with our Creator God. But Paul also tells us here in verses 15 and 16 that wisdom also comes, walking wisdom is also about making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity or using our time wisely. The word opportunity here in the Greek is the word kairos, and it means seasons, seasons. Now, we know a thing or two about seasons here in Minnesota, you know what I'm saying, right? When you hear the word season, what comes to mind? Right? Well, you know, a few months ago it started getting really cold out, and pretty soon the snow started falling, and the lake started freezing over, and we were in the season of winter right? But the season doesn't last forever, does it, right? And in this last week, you know, we've rejoiced because it's warmed up, the sun's come out, the ice is melting, the snow's melting, the seasons come and the seasons go. They have a beginning and they have an ending. And this is what Paul's talking about. We need to make the most of every opportunity of every season because the time is short. The seasons change. And friends, as followers of Christ, our season began when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we begin to walk in a relationship with him. Our season begins at that moment, but friends, our season is gonna come to an end the day that God calls us home. And none of us knows the number of days that God has appointed for each of us to live. Our time is short, our time is precious, our season of life is limited, and this is why Paul says we need to make the most of every opportunity This term, making the most of, that Paul uses here. The Greek word for that is exegorazo. It means to redeem the time. We need to buy back the time. In other words, there's a cost. If we're going to make the most of the seasons of our life, there's a cost to that. What is it going to cost? Well, friends, it might mean the sacrifice of certain things in this world for the sake of pursuing those things of eternal value. That's the cost to redeem the time. We might have to give some things up in this world for the sake of investing in our faith. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of wasted time on a lot of things that have nothing to do with helping them grow in their walk with the Lord. You know, when you think about how much time you spend in front of your computer, reading through Facebook, watching movies on Netflix, playing video games, at your job, at, ex- at the expense of your marriage or your family. I mean, this is what Paul's talking about. There's a cost. We may have to sacrifice some of these things of the world for the sake of pursuing what is ultimately significant. I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, you high schoolers will probably relate to this. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I was always told, you know, Jason, you gotta get good grades in school so that you can get into good college, so that you can graduate and get a good job, so that you can make a lot of money, so that you can buy that house you want, so that you can buy a fancy car, so that you can pad your bank account, so that you can retire when you're 55, so that you can go on vacation and relax the rest of your life. So what? Friends, at the end of the day, you can't take it with you. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Paul says we need to make the most of our seasons. Our time is short. When you think about your life, what are those things in your life? What are the things that the world would say you need to be pursuing that are actually antithetical to your spiritual well-being in the pursuit of those things that have lasting and eternal value? This is the cost involved. Sometimes we need to give some of those things up for the sake of investing in our faith. Secondly, Paul says if we're going to walk carefully the path that leads to life, we need to walk in the will of the Lord. Verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Friends, how do I know what the Lord's will is? Friends, you understand the Lord's will by going to His revealed truth in Scripture. This is where the will of the Lord is found, friends. It's found in Scripture. We have this incredible resource here that God has given us to unfold for us, to reveal to us His will for our lives. I mean, you know, when you think about, like, your daily life, if you're looking for an answer for something, right, somebody asks you a question, you say, oh, that's a good question, I never thought about that. Or maybe you're looking for, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to decide what movie you're going to go see this weekend or what restaurant to go to or you're looking for directions to get somewhere. When you're looking for information in life, where do you go? Google search, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's incredible. You can go on Google, you can type in, and they'll give you an answer to anything, But friends, do you want to know something? For over 2,000 years, God has given us an incredible resource that has the ultimate answers to life. The Bible, this is like God's Google search for life. I mean, you think about it. Any question, any issue that is of concern to us in our daily lives, God answers it for us. You want to know about relationships? He's got an answer. You want to know about your marriage? He's got an answer. You want to know about how to pursue your time? He's got an answer. You want to know about how to invest your money? He's got an answer. You want to know about how to have healthy, positive uh, family life? He's got an answer. Friends, God's given us the answer. And if you want to know his will, you've got to go to his source of revelation to read the truths that he's given us. You know it's interesting. I, I I run into a lot of people as a pastor, and and I hear this. You guys have probably heard this. Many of you have probably said this. I've said this a lot of people, they go through life and they're looking for God's will and they say, you know, Jason, Pastor Jason, I, I, you know, I've just been praying and I'm, I'm waiting for God to show me a sign. You know, I, I'm really seeking the Lord's will on this one. And, and, and Jason, man, wouldn't it be great if God would just give me a sign? I mean, why doesn't God just show up in a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke and lead me like he led the Israelites? I mean, why wouldn't he just give me a sign like that and make his will obvious? You know, I mean, for Pete's sake, he gave Moses a burning bush. Where's my burning bush? Right? Friends, scripture is our burning bush. If you want to know the will of the Lord, you gotta to go to his word, which is where he has revealed his will and his truth to us. This past week I was reading online, I read a, came across a Washington Post article about a national survey that reported that while church attendance is in decline, while scripture reading is in decline, you want to know what's not in decline spiritually in our country today? Prayer. A majority of people in our nation still pray on a daily basis, according to this national survey. Now, they don't go to church, they don't read their Bible, but they're praying on a daily basis. And at first you might think, oh, that's good, they're praying. But friends... If they're not going to church, if they're not in God's word, do they even know the God to whom they're praying? Do they even realize that probably half the stuff they're praying about, God has already spoken of in his word? You see, friends, prayer divorced from a knowledge of the word of God. It's, like, it's just like casting lots into the wind. I mean, it, it's not going to do a lot for you. Being in God's word is key to understanding his will. Donald Whitney, in his, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word in importance. Prayer is second in importance because it relies on our knowledge of God, which comes from reading his word. Engagement with Scripture is an essential, though often missing, component of prayer. Friends, if you want to walk in the will of the Lord, you need to know the will of the Lord, and the will of the Lord, friends, is ultimately found and revealed in God's word, the scriptures. This is why we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus himself tells us this. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus tells us the famous story of these two guys who are building their houses, right? And Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, his teachings, his truth, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock, on solid ground, the solid ground of God's word. See, friends, what we build our lives on, the foundation upon which we base our lives and our choices and our actions, it all matters, and the foundation is crucial And Jesus says, the foundation of the solid rock of my word is stable and true, and it will get you safely through life. But Jesus then goes on in the same story. He says, but the foolish man, he built his house on the sands, the shifting sands, the shifting sands of human wisdom. Oh, no, God, we know better than that. Ah, come on. I'm going to do it my way. And so we start building our house on the sand. And you know what? Sometimes the sand seems like a better place to build because you know what? Man, I was down at the St. Croix River the other day hiking with my family. There's some awesome sandbars. I mean, you could build this. I mean, you could put a really nice cabin right there on the edge of one of those sandbars. and, And I mean, all those crazy people who got their houses up on the cliff, I could have waterfront property right on the river but you laugh because it's foolish because you know as soon as the rains come and the snow starts melting and the river rises, that cool cabin on that sandbar is going to be washed away. Foolish. Ten years ago, my wife and I, we had a really incredible opportunity to go and uh, take a trip to, uh, to Italy. My cousin's a missionary, a church planner in northern Italy. And uh, we had this really uh, incredible opportunity to go and visit this beautiful city, Venice, Italy. Venice, Italy, I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. You've seen this in movies, you know, the the famous canals of Venice, the gondolas. We got to spend a day over there in Venice, and it was just incredible. It was literally, I'm not kidding, probably uh, the most beautiful city I've ever been to anywhere in the world. It's an incredible place. And friends, I would tell you, if you ever have a chance to go and visit Venice, Italy, go do it, okay? Go do it. But here's the deal. You better do it quick because Venice is sinking it's sinking. See Venice was built in 452 BC a bunch of Italians they went off the coast of Italy to escape Attila the Hun who was invading Italy and they set up this city of Venice on a bunch of islands in the middle of a marsh off the coast of Italy in the ocean. And for the last 1500 years at a rate of 3 to 9 inches per year or per century Venice is sinking. It's sinking because they didn't build it on a solid foundation. See, friends, your foundation matters. Where you build your life matters. And this is why Jesus says when you build your life on the solid rock, the foundation of God's word, you're not gonna go wrong. You're not gonna go wrong. Thirdly, this morning, last point, to walk carefully the way that leads to life. Paul says here in Ephesians that we need to walk In the fullness of the spirit walk in the fullness of the spirit in verse 18 paul says don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit now some may ask you know why does paul insert this statement about not getting drunk on wine well here's the deal Starting in verse 4, Paul's dealing with a whole bunch of ethical imperatives about how we should live our lives. And so, again, not getting drunk on wine is one more of these ethical imperatives where Paul is saying, look it, God says this is the way to life. The world says, no, this is the way to life. And Paul is setting up these contrasts. Paul's saying, don't get drunk on wine. Drunkenness on wine is a sin, all right? This is taught in Scripture, right? But here's the thing. I don't think drinking wine is the point of this verse, the point of this verse is what drinking wine leads to. And what it leads to, Paul says, is debauchery. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. The Greek word there is asotia. Asotia it means reckless or wasteful living. Don't get drunk on wine because it leads to reckless. Wasteful living. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament talking about the prodigal son, the wasteful son who inherited all his father's wealth and then he ran off and he squandered it on sex and drugs and rock and roll. Wasteful living. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't squander your life on reckless, wasteful pursuits. Instead of filling up on these wasteful pursuits, Paul says fill up on the spirit that leads to life and life to the full. Let me ask you, friends, are you? Are you filling up on the Spirit? Are you regularly filling up on the Spirit that leads to life? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Jason. I thought if I'm a Christian, I already have the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, didn't we read back in Ephesians chapter 1, back in verses 13 through 14, that Paul says that, the, that it, when we put our faith in Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit as a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, right? I thought I already have the Holy Spirit, Well, friends, if you're a follower of Christ, you do already have the Holy Spirit, but according to this verse, Paul says you need to get more in an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. It's an already but not yet kind of a thing, all right? You already have the Spirit, but you need more of the Spirit. In fact, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, the word there is plero, and in the Greek, This is going to sound really nerdy to me, but it's the present passive imperative of this word. And what that means is it basically means the proper translation is not be filled, but be continually filled. We are to be continually filled with the Spirit. I already have the Spirit when I put my trust in Jesus, but we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. I pray that you may know his incomparably great power. We have this incomparably great power, the Holy Spirit, available to us, and it's like, you know, back in the old days, you drive up to the gas station and you say to the guy at the pump, hey, fill her up, right? Right? A lot of you young people don't know about that. I barely know about that, but, right? But... But this is what Paul's saying. It's like we pull up to God's gas station and every day we need to make the decision, God, fill her up again. Fill up my tanks. Fill me up. Be continually filled with the Spirit. How can we be continually filled? Two things. Number one, yield control of our lives to him. We need to align our lives with the Holy Spirit by submitting to him and to his will. You know, how many of you have ever been sailing before? little sailboat you know i remember when my dad taught me how to sail we were at a camp up in northern wisconsin we were on one of those little sunfish sailboats you know and and uh, my dad and i we went out and we got in the middle of this lake and we weren't really moving anywhere you know i mean the wind was blowing but we weren't really moving anywhere and i'm thinking like this is supposed to be fun but you know something friends when we got that sail properly aligned with the wind that was blowing man we took off That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about aligning our lives with the wind of the Spirit, the movement of the Spirit. God's Spirit is always flowing. We always have access to it. But we need to align our lives by submitting to His will and inviting Him to fill us continually day by day to lead us through life. You know, a great prayer you can pray. My dad, he used to pray this all the time. I remember hearing my dad pray this many times. He'd pray, Holy Spirit, make your priorities our priorities. Friends, that's submitting your life to the will of the Holy Spirit. Make your priorities our priorities. That's aligning your life with the movement of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, he fills you and he moves you and you begin to experience his power. The second thing we're told to do in order to experience this continual filling of the Holy Spirit is we need to let the word of God take root in our lives. Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Friends, does that verse sound familiar to anybody? It's almost word for word what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about being filled with the Spirit. He says being filled with the Spirit produces these things, but in Colossians he says having the Word of God dwelling in your heart produces these things. In other words, they go hand in hand. If you want the Spirit to be moving in your life, you have to have the Word of God dwelling in you richly. And as you have the Word of God dwelling in you richly, the Spirit flows richly. It's a two-way street here, all right? We need to have our lives saturated in the Word of God, and then the Spirit begins to grow and fill us and flow through us and empowers us for daily living. Friends, this is what the result of this is. It's not a one-time ecstatic experience. You know, a lot of people think being filled with the Spirit is about having these supernatural, miraculous you know, things take place. You know, I'm going to heal people, and I'm going to do prophecy, and I'm going to speak in tongues. And, and they think that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is about daily empowerment for miraculous living. Paul's saying here in Ephesians 5, he says, let the Spirit transform you more and more into the likeness of Christ. And as that happens, then Paul says, this is what that looks like. Verse 18 through 21, a life of worship, a life of thanksgiving, a life of mutually uplifting and loving relationships. And friends, that's the real miracle, because who lives like that? Who goes through life with an attitude of worship and thanksgiving and, and mutually loving and submitting to one another? Nobody does that right? The real miracle is that through the empowerment, the constant filling of the Spirit, we can live like that. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, how the Holy Spirit transforms our lives and allows us to experience this in a whole bunch of different contexts. Next week, we're going to look at in the context of our marriage relationships, how the filling of the Spirit allows us to submit to one another, to love one another. Friends, that's the real miracle that takes place in the filling of the Spirit. God has told us how we might safely travel the path that leads to life. It's by walking in wisdom, it's by walking in His will, and it's by walking in the fullness of the Spirit. But here's the question, will we obey? Will we trust Him and will we obey? I saw a great quote by Josh McDowell on Twitter this past week. Josh, he says, the struggle isn't figuring out right and wrong, It's deciding God's version of right and wrong is better than your own. Isn't that true, friends? It's not hard to figure out right and wrong. That's pretty clear. The struggle is deciding that God's version is better than my version. God has spoken, and he offers a path that leads to life and life to the full, but will we trust him, and will we obey? I conclude with this. When I was in high school, I had to memorize a famous poem for one of my English classes. It's a poem many of you probably recognize by Robert Frost called, The Road Not Taken. In the last stanza of this poem, Robert Frost, he says, Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Friends, every single day we go through life and we have choices we make we have things we prioritize we have paths in front of us and jesus says i am the way the truth and the life i've come that you might have life and life to the full jesus says narrow is the road that leads to life and every single day we have this choice two paths diverged in the wood robert frost says and i took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference Friends, that, that's a profound statement, and it holds true in our spiritual lives as well. When I choose to follow Jesus, friends, when I made that choice many years ago, it's made all the difference. And every single day, when I choose to love my wife faithfully, when I choose to seek forgiveness for when I've wronged her, when I try to love my friends and neighbors consistently. Every day I have these choices I have to make. How I'm gonna spend my money, what I'm gonna watch, what I'm gonna say. When you choose Jesus, friends, that makes all the difference. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways turn to him and he will make your path straight. That's my prayer for you this morning. That you'll trust in Jesus and you'll follow his path. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful truths that you've given us in this great letter to the Ephesians. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us here today would take these teachings to heart, Lord, that we would remember that we need to be careful because we do have an enemy who is actively seeking to lead us us astray and to destroy us. But Lord, you've given us the tools to... Help us walk safely the path to life, Lord. Help us to apply these truths to our lives, that we might walk in wisdom and the fear of the Lord, that we might use our time wisely. Lord, that we would walk in your will, in the revealed truth you've given us in Scripture, Lord, that we would walk in the fullness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and and that we would experience the, the life transformation that happens as a result of that. Lord, help us. Give us the grace that we need each day. Help us to avoid temptation, Lord. Help us to say no to the schemes of the enemy. Help us to walk faithfully the path that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.